you are now tuned into Civil War Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, here to guide you through the fields and towns of mid-19th century America as we delve into the epic conflict that shaped the very soul of this great nation, the Civil War. Together, we'll explore riveting stories from an era of transformation and sacrifice, hearing tales of valiant charges, whispered plots, and the profound human experiences behind the blue and the gray. And if your historical appetite is still hungry for more tales of valor and conflict, be sure to check out our companion podcast, World War II Stories, where we unravel the global conflict that raged nearly a century later. You can find the link in the description or make your way to podhour.com ww2. So, ready your ears and steady your hearts as we traverse through the pages of time, delving into a chapter of history where a nation fought for its very identity. In the spring of 1862, a nation already torn apart by ideological divides and political contention found itself locked in a fierce battle, a grueling siege that would come to shape the course of the greatest conflict ever seen on American soil. This is the story of the Siege of Yorktown, a pivotal moment in the American Civil War that drew two fiercely determined armies into an extended standoff in the strategic Virginia Peninsula. It's a narrative steeped in daring strategies, deceptive tactics, and the resilience of men pitted against not just enemy fire but the grinding hardships of a protracted siege. It's a tale that saw two generals, George B. McClellan and John B. Magruder, locked in a strategic chess match where caution and cunning played out in equal measure. This story isn't just about a military campaign, though. It's about the characters who led it, the soldiers who fought in it, and the civilians who endured it. It's about the broader currents of history that brought them all to Yorktown in the spring of 1862, the aftermath of their actions, and the indelible mark they left on the landscape of the American Civil War. So, let us take a step back in time to those turbulent days to witness firsthand the forces at play leading to this iconic confrontation, to stand on the ramparts of Yorktown as the cannons roar, and ultimately to understand how this key episode shaped the future of a divided nation. As we dive deep into this stirring saga, we explore not only the battlefield but the hearts and minds of those who made history on those hallowed grounds. Chapter 1. The Brewing Storm In the years leading up to 1862, a profound sense of unease was settling over the United States. The nation was like a grand tapestry, its threads woven from every corner of the land. However, these threads were fraying, strained by the weight of political strife and social unrest. At the heart of this tension was a heated controversy slavery, and it was becoming a dividing wedge, ripping the North and South apart. This period of emerging shadows saw the rise of significant figures, each casting their own influence over the shifting landscape of America. One such figure was Abraham Lincoln, the newly elected president from the northern state of Illinois. With a calm demeanor that hit a steely resolve, he held a staunch belief in the sanctity of the Union and was determined to hold the country together. His election, however, sparked outrage in the southern states where his perceived anti-slavery stance was seen as a direct threat to their economic and societal norms. In South Carolina, Jefferson Davis emerged as the nascent leader of the Confederacy. A man of firm convictions, 
he had a stern countenance that spoke of the grave responsibility he bore. While he held Lincoln's position in high regard, he believed firmly in the rights of states and saw secession as a legitimate response to perceived federal overreach. As these political figures maneuvered, tensions reached a boiling point. The fateful shot fired at Fort Sumter on April 12, 1861, marked the start of the Civil War, propelling the nation into a conflict that would test its very foundations. The Southern states, collectively known as the Confederacy, rallied around their cause of maintaining their way of life and what they saw as their state's rights. The Northern states, united under the banner of the Union, fought to preserve the nation's integrity and halt the expansion of slavery. This was the backdrop against which General George B. McClellan and General John B. Magruder took center stage. As the curtains of history were drawn back, the stage was set for a showdown that would etch their names into the annals of time and forever shape the destiny of a divided nation. From the political halls of Washington and the cotton plantations of the South to the growing military camps on both sides, the undercurrent of conflict was rippling through the country. As these emerging shadows lengthened, they slowly encroached upon a small town in Virginia. This town, steeped in history and soon to be the crucible of a nation's destiny, was Yorktown. Little did its inhabitants know of the turbulent storm that was about to break upon them. The shadows of conflict were moving, inexorably drawn towards this fateful place. As spring approached, Yorktown found itself in the crosshairs of history, destined to bear witness to one of the most significant sieges in American history. In the early days of 1862, leaders on both sides of the conflict stepped onto the stage of history, their flags unfurling in the winds of change. Among them were two military men, different in many ways, yet each defined by a steadfast commitment to their cause. On one side, Union General George B. McClellan, a man of meticulous detail, often draped in his dark blue uniform, his eyes a mirror of determined resolve. On the other, Confederate General John B. Magruder, a dramatic figure whose flamboyant style masked a shrewd tactical mind. McClellan, known affectionately as Little Mac by his troops, had been handed the responsibility of leading the Union's largest fighting force, the Army of the Potomac. A West Point graduate and a seasoned veteran of the Mexican-American War, he was admired for his organizational skills and strategic acumen. Yet, behind this confident exterior lay a cautious nature. He was a man who believed in thorough planning, in taking the time to assemble his forces, scrutinize every detail, and ensure every eventuality was accounted for before setting his plans in motion. Several hundred miles south, another leader was stirring the hearts of his men. John Bankhead Magruder, a fellow West Point alumnus, and a veteran like McClellan, was a stark contrast to his Union counterpart. Known for his dramatic flair, Magruder had a penchant for theatrics, both off and on the battlefield. His soldiers, buoyed by his larger-than-life persona, referred to him as Prince John. But beneath this theatrical veneer, Magruder was a tactician of the First Order, who understood that in war, as in theater, perception could be just as powerful as reality. As the winter thawed into spring, both McClellan and Magruder found themselves drawn into the looming confrontation in Virginia. For McClellan, 
It was a chance to strike at the heart of the Confederacy and turn the tide of the war in the Union's favor. For Magruder, it was about stalling the Union advance, buying precious time for Confederate reinforcements to arrive. They looked upon their respective flags, each emblematic of the cause they served. For McClellan, the Stars and Stripes was a symbol of unity and resilience, a banner that rallied the North in its fight to preserve the nation. For Magruder, the Stars and Bars represented a fierce determination to uphold the rights and traditions of the South, to defend their homeland against what they perceived as Northern aggression. As the Union and Confederate flags billowed in the spring breeze, a collision course was set. The paths of these two leaders, each holding the fate of their men and their nation in their hands, were about to converge on the small town of Yorktown. The town's fate, like the banners they served, was about to be swept up in the currents of war, forever intertwining their destinies with the unfolding saga of the Civil War. A winding path was laid out before the two generals, stretching towards a place of significant historical resonance, Yorktown. It was here, in 1781, that a decisive battle of the American Revolutionary War was fought, leading to the end of British rule. Now, over 80 years later, this Virginia town would again become a theater of battle, a stage upon which the destiny of a divided nation would be shaped. For McClellan and his Union Army, the path to Yorktown was an ambitious plan known as the Peninsula Campaign. Its aim? To capture Richmond, the Confederate capital. As the general poured over his maps, he traced the route up the Virginia Peninsula between the York and James Rivers. The objective was simple, at least on paper, move swiftly, establish a base, and strike at the heart of the Confederacy. It was a daring plan, a testament to McClellan's strategic mind, but its execution would be a formidable task. His fingers traced the marked route on the map, resting finally on the dot representing Yorktown. He knew that this town was the key to seize Yorktown, and the path to Richmond would lay open. Meanwhile, hundreds of miles away, Magruder was facing a challenge of his own. His task was daunting with limited resources and outnumbered troops, he had to delay the Union's march. The flamboyant general studied his own maps, his gaze focused on the fortifications he had ordered built along the Warwick River. He knew these fortifications, coupled with his knack for deception, were the only hope he had to stall the Union advance. The grand illusion he was about to create was as audacious as it was brilliant. He too was aware of the significance of Yorktown, the town that was to be the setting for his masterpiece of military theater. As spring blossomed, a sense of urgency hung in the air. In the north, McClellan's men were preparing to embark on their campaign, their hearts ablaze with resolve. In the south, Magruder was rallying his troops instilling in them a firm belief in their cause and the courage to stand against the odds. Two paths, divergent yet intertwined, were converging on a small Virginia town. Each leader, under their respective flags, commanded their men forward. The ground beneath tens of thousands of marching feet trembled, mirroring the heartbeat of a nation in turmoil. The path to Yorktown had been set, the stage was ready, and the players were moving into position. As they marched, the men could not help but feel the weight of the looming confrontation. For they knew, just as their leaders did, 
that the outcome at Yorktown would resonate far beyond its borders, echoing through the years to shape the course of their nation's history. Chapter 2 Clash on the Peninsula As the winds of March began to soften into the gentler breezes of April, the Peninsula campaign kicked into gear. The brainchild of McClellan, this grand military operation was a reflection of his meticulous nature. He envisioned a swift and decisive strike that would quell the rebellion and bring an early end to the war. McClellan's army, a vast force of over 100,000 men, set sail from Alexandria, Virginia. A flotilla of transports carrying men, horses, and artillery bobbed along the Potomac River, a mighty blue serpent winding its way towards the Chesapeake Bay. As they watched the receding shoreline, many of the soldiers thought of their families left behind, their faces etched with a blend of determination and anxiety. Upon their arrival at Fort Monroe at the tip of the Virginia Peninsula, the Union soldiers faced their first challenge. It was not a clash with Confederate troops but an elemental battle against swampy terrain and unpredictable weather. The soldiers trudged through muddy fields and dense forests their boots squelching in the sodden ground, their uniforms heavy with the unrelenting rain. Even as the Union soldiers were grappling with Mother Nature, another battle was taking shape. To the west, running from Yorktown to Mulberry Island, was a line of formidable Confederate fortifications along the Warwick River. It was here that Magruder had dug in, his comparatively smaller force of 13,000 men bracing for the onslaught of McClellan's army. The fortifications, though impressive, were a facade, part of Magruder's grand illusion meant to deceive and delay the Union forces. The stage was set. The Union, with its superior numbers and firepower, aimed to press forward and capture Yorktown. The Confederates, outnumbered but undaunted, were determined to stand their ground. As McClellan's forces began their slow advance, each soldier could sense that they were not merely walking on a rain-soaked path but stepping into the annals of history. What lay ahead was a test of endurance, courage, and strategic wit. The Peninsula Campaign was no longer just a plan on a piece of paper, it was a living, breathing entity, dictating the rhythm of tens of thousands of hearts that echoed with a single thought Yorktown. The quiet town was about to be awakened by the thunderous symphony of war. The echo of every cannon fire, the charge of every cavalry, the shout of every command was to be a note in this symphony, a narrative set to shape the course of the Civil War. As the Union forces steadily advanced up the Virginia Peninsula, a flurry of activity was underway in Yorktown. The southern town, usually tranquil and unhurried, was now pulsing with a sense of urgency. Its transformation was directed by none other than Magruder, the man tasked with stalling McClellan's march towards Richmond. Magruder, no stranger to grand theatrical gestures, had decided to mount an elaborate ruse. His plan was to convince McClellan that his forces were much larger than they were, hoping to deter a swift Union assault. To bring his grand illusion to life, he needed to make Yorktown appear as an impenetrable fortress. With a blend of military precision and theatrical flair, Magruder set about fortifying Yorktown. From the early morning light until the last glimmers of the setting sun, the sounds of construction filled the air. Shovels dug trenches, hammers clanged against nails, 
and men shouted instructions over the cacophony. Earthworks rose from the ground, creating a ring of defensive positions around the town. The men worked tirelessly, knowing that their efforts were all that stood between them and a Union siege. Even as the fortifications took shape, Magruder's theatrics came into play. His soldiers, often merely a handful, were ordered to march back and forth within sight of the Union scouts, their Confederate uniforms appearing as a multitude of troops to the observing eyes. Campfires, far more than necessary, were lit at night to give the illusion of a large encampment. The air was thick with a blend of nervous energy and cautious optimism, a testament to Magruder's charismatic leadership and strategic mind. As McClellan's forces neared, Magruder's grand deception seemed to work. The Union general, cautious by nature, was hesitant to launch a full-scale assault against what he believed was a well-fortified and significantly manned Confederate stronghold. He opted instead for a siege, hoping to starve the Confederate forces into surrender. Little did he know that behind the imposing fortifications and the smoke of countless campfires, Magruder's force was but a fraction of his own. Yorktown, once a quiet town etched into the pages of America's revolutionary history, was now fortified, its peaceful air replaced with the charged tension of impending battle. Its fate was tied to the men working tirelessly within its borders, their hopes pinned on an elaborate ruse. As the Union forces drew closer, the stage was set, the plot thickened, and Yorktown braced for the approaching storm. April 5, 1862, marked the beginning of a tense chapter in Yorktown's history. As the first rays of dawn pierced the morning mist, the Union forces arrived on the outskirts of the fortified town. McClellan, scanning the imposing Confederate defenses with his field glasses, felt a twinge of apprehension. His meticulous nature and the weight of the immense responsibility he shouldered made him choose a cautious approach. The air hung heavy as the Union soldiers took their positions, staring across the field at the gray-clad figures manning the Confederate fortifications. It was a stillness not of peace, but of anticipation, the silent moments before the storm. And then, the siege began. The initial phase was not marked by the thunderous exchanges of artillery or the violent charges of infantrymen, but rather by a prolonged and watchful waiting. McClellan, convinced of the strength of Magruder's forces, decided to prepare for a lengthy siege. He ordered the construction of siege lines and the placement of heavy artillery. The Union forces started to dig in, the rhythmic clinks of their shovels a stark contrast to the ominous silence from the Confederate lines. Inside the Confederate fortifications, Magruder's ruse was still holding. Although vastly outnumbered, his men stood their ground, their confidence fueled by their general's indomitable spirit. Every so often, they would unleash a volley of cannon fire, the roar of the guns resonating across the field, a defiant reply to the Union's presence. Days turned into weeks. The Union soldiers, living in makeshift camps, endured damp conditions and sporadic Confederate shelling. Their days were filled with the monotony of siege warfare, digging trenches, moving artillery, standing guard. But beneath this monotonous routine lurked a constant tension, an awareness that any moment could bring the eruption of full-scale battle. In this game of patience and perseverance, 
both McClellan and Magruder stood firm, each holding on to their chosen strategy. The former, confident in the eventual arrival of his heavy artillery, was preparing to blast through the Confederate defenses. The latter, despite the increasing strain on his thinly spread forces, clung to his illusion, hoping to delay the Union long enough for Confederate reinforcements to arrive. In these early days of the siege, Yorktown was not just a battlefield, it was a chessboard, with two skilled players locked in a strategic stalemate. The town waited with bated breath as the two generals maneuvered their pieces, the echoes of their moves reverberating across the war-torn nation. Chapter 3. A Test of Wills The strategy of a siege is a test of resilience and resourcefulness, a slow-burning contest that grinds down the physical and mental strength of both the besieger and the besieged. As the siege of Yorktown wore on, the true nature of this warfare was revealed in all its grueling detail. McClellan, leading the Union forces, was fully committed to this arduous approach. He ordered his men to construct parallel lines of trenches and artillery positions, gradually inching closer to the Confederate fortifications. Every day brought backbreaking labor under the watchful eyes of enemy sharpshooters. Despite the constant threat, the Union soldiers persevered, their determination hardened by the belief in their cause. Amid the clamor of construction, McClellan's artillerymen took their positions. The big guns they manned were a crucial part of the siege strategy. Positioned on siege lines, these artillery pieces were capable of raining a deadly storm of iron upon the Confederate fortifications. Yet, they remained eerily silent as McClellan awaited the arrival of his largest guns, the siege mortars that could truly breach Magruder's defenses. Within Yorktown's defenses, Magruder and his men were enduring their own challenges. Food and ammunition were dwindling, but they held on, hoping that their resilience would buy enough time for Confederate reinforcements to arrive. Magruder continued his theatrical tactics, his troops creating a constant whirl of activity to maintain the illusion of a larger force. At night, campfires flickered like a constellation across the landscape, casting long, deceptive shadows that kept the Union scouts guessing. Yet, despite the mounting hardships, morale remained surprisingly high among the Confederate soldiers. Magruder's audacious ruse, coupled with their steadfast belief in their cause, fostered a spirit of tenacity. Each cannon fired, each trench dug, each day survived was a testament to their resolve, a defiant stand against a far superior enemy force. As the siege continued, the town of Yorktown became a symbol of steadfast defiance and persistent determination. It bore silent witness to the weary Union soldiers digging their trenches and the defiant Confederate troops holding their lines. The outcome remained uncertain, a fact that weighed heavily on the minds of the two generals. McClellan and Magruder, each in his own way, were learning the harsh lessons of siege warfare, their strategies and decisions shaping the fate of Yorktown and, potentially, the course of the Civil War. In the heart of the Southern defenses stood Magruder, the architect of the elaborate illusion holding the Union at bay. A former actor, Magruder brought a flair for theatrics to his military strategy. It was this unique blend of artistry and warfare that was now breathing life into his audacious plan. In the face of an overwhelming Union force, 
Magruder had turned to deception. To the observing Union scouts, his troops appeared to be innumerable, their numbers magnified by a cleverly orchestrated spectacle. Soldiers marched in loops, appearing and disappearing from view, their movement a carefully choreographed dance meant to suggest the presence of a vast Confederate army. At the heart of this illusion was a simple yet potent tactic, manipulation of perception. By playing on McClellan's cautious nature and exploiting the limited visibility offered by the terrain and fortifications, Magruder created a formidable image of his forces. Every campfire lit, every cannon fired, every soldier marching was part of this grand performance. Yet, while the illusion was effective, it was also a double-edged sword. Each day gained through deception was a day closer to the arrival of Confederate reinforcements, but it was also another day of dwindling supplies and mounting exhaustion for his troops. The balance was delicate, the stakes high. If McClellan realized the ruse before reinforcements arrived, the result could be catastrophic for the Confederate defense. Throughout the siege, Magruder played his role with a stoic determination, his confidence buoying the spirits of his men. But beneath this show of strength, the general was acutely aware of the gamble he was taking. He knew that the illusion had to be maintained at all costs, for the lives of his men and the future of the Confederacy hung in the balance. In the tense stalemate that was the siege of Yorktown, Magruder's illusion played a critical role. It was more than a strategic ploy, it was a dramatic performance on the stage of war, its success as pivotal to the Confederate cause as any battle fought with bullets and bayonets. The illusion held, the stakes rose, and Yorktown remained a fortified enigma, its fate teetering on the edge of a carefully crafted mirage. As the days stretched into weeks, the siege of Yorktown settled into a routine of relentless grind and anxious waiting. On both sides of the line, the glamorous notions of war had given way to the stark realities of a prolonged siege. The battlefield had morphed into a tableau of endurance and hardship, the grim price of a lingering stalemate. For McClellan's Union forces, the waiting was interminable. Days were consumed by the ceaseless labor of constructing siege lines, while nights were fraught with the possibility of Confederate attacks. The once green fields had become a muddy morass under the trampling of countless boots and the dragging of heavy artillery. Exhausted soldiers, their uniforms stained with sweat and grime, kept a wary eye on the Confederate lines, their hands always within reach of their weapons. The arrival of the siege guns' huge mortars designed to smash through the enemy fortifications brought a renewed sense of purpose. Once these behemoths were in position, McClellan knew he could pierce Magruder's defenses. But positioning these monstrosities was a Herculean task, requiring the collective effort of hundreds of men and dozens of horses. Every inch gained towards their final position was hard won, a testament to the unwavering resolve of the Union soldiers. Inside Yorktown, conditions were becoming increasingly dire. The Confederate forces were bearing the brunt of the prolonged siege. Food was scarce, the daily rations shrinking with each passing day. Soldiers huddled around small fires, their hollowed faces illuminated by the flickering flames. Illness, born of exhaustion and malnourishment, started to creep through the ranks, sapping the strength of the men. Yet amidst the growing desperation,
there was a sense of unyielding determination. Magruder's illusion was still holding, the Confederates' show of resistance unbroken. Soldiers clung to their posts with dogged determination, their resilience a testament to their belief in their cause and their faith in their leaders. In this stalemate, both sides suffered and endured. Their shared hardship was a grim dance, each side stubbornly holding on, waiting for the other to falter. Yorktown had become a crucible of courage and endurance, its tale one of defiance and survival. The siege wore on, its toll heavy on both sides, the endgame still uncertain, the suffering all too real. Chapter 4 Breaking the Siege a sense of anticipation hung over the Union camp as whispers of an impending change started circulating among the soldiers. The wait was finally over, the Union's mighty ironclads were arriving. These massive, armored vessels, capable of braving the fiercest of cannonades, were seen as game-changers. Their arrival was set to break the impasse and tip the scales in the Union's favor. Leading this naval force was the USS Monitor, an ironclad warship known for her involvement in the Battle of Hampton Roads. Her squat silhouette and revolving turret were a testament to modern ingenuity, a beacon of hope for the beleaguered Union troops. Alongside the Monitor sailed the USS Galena, another ironclad distinguished by her sleek design and powerful guns. Their presence signaled a shift in the Union's strategy, a move towards a decisive confrontation. McClellan welcomed the ironclads with renewed vigor. Their firepower, combined with his heavy siege artillery, held the potential to obliterate the Confederate defenses. As the ironclads anchored into position, their looming figures were seen by both sides, stirring reactions of hope and apprehension. For the Confederate forces in Yorktown, the sight of these iron beasts was daunting. The arrival of the ironclads symbolized a formidable addition to the Union's firepower, threatening to shatter their defenses and expose their illusion. However, in spite of their fears, they remained steadfast, the command from Magruder clear hold the line at all costs. As the ironclads began their bombardment, the night sky was lit up by the blazing arcs of cannon fire. The impact of the heavy shells against the earthworks echoed across the battlefield, a chilling soundtrack to the siege. Union soldiers watched as the ironclads unleashed their fury, the sight bolstering their morale and fueling dreams of a soon-to-be victory. The arrival of the ironclads at the siege of Yorktown was a pivotal moment, one that could potentially spell the end of the standoff. As the cannons roared and shells exploded, the future of Yorktown hung in the balance caught between the iron might of the Union and the indomitable spirit of the Confederacy. As the relentless bombardment of the Union ironclads shook Yorktown, the beleaguered Confederates were confronted with a harsh reality. The illusion of invincibility that Magruder had so meticulously crafted was crumbling. They could hold out no longer against the Union's firepower. The decision was made they had to retreat. General Joseph E. Johnston, having taken command from Magruder, was tasked with this formidable challenge. Known for his strategic acumen and firm leadership, Johnston recognized that prolonging the siege was futile. But a retreat needed to be handled with tact and precision to prevent it from turning into a rout. Johnston began the daunting task of organizing his weary forces for a well-ordered withdrawal. 
the night of the evacuation was shrouded in an eerie quiet. The Confederate soldiers moved in hushed whispers, their footsteps muffled, their hearts heavy but determined. They packed what little they could, burned what they couldn't, leaving behind the smoldering remains of their encampments as a parting gift to their enemy. Their departure was as theatrical as their defense had been. To buy more time, they left several cannons behind, rigged to fire at intervals, a ruse to make the Union believe they were still there. It was a fitting end to the grand illusion that had held Yorktown captive for so long. As the first light of dawn washed over Yorktown, the Union forces were met with an unexpected sight. The Confederate trenches, which had been buzzing with activity just the day before, lay eerily deserted. A cautious investigation confirmed the truth the Confederates had retreated under the cover of darkness. The Confederate retreat from Yorktown marked a significant turning point in the Peninsula Campaign. Though they had retreated, their spirit was far from broken. They left behind a town ravaged by the trials of the siege, its empty defenses standing as a testament to their fierce resistance and the grand illusion that had held the Union at bay. The stage was now set for the next chapter of the war, the battles that were to follow the siege of Yorktown. With the dawn's light revealing the Confederate retreat, a flurry of activity overtook the Union camp. General McClellan, though relieved by the retreat, knew this was not a victory to celebrate. It was now a game of chase, a pursuit to prevent the Confederates from regrouping with reinforcements. As the Union soldiers poured out of their trenches, they found themselves chasing shadows left behind by the retreating Confederate forces. McClellan entrusted his cavalry, led by General George Stoneman, with the task of pursuit. Stoneman, a stern man with sharp features, was known for his tenacity. His mounted troops, a sight to behold in their blue uniforms and gleaming sabers, moved swiftly, kicking up clouds of dust as they sped through the deserted fortifications of Yorktown. Their pursuit led them through landscapes scarred by the toll of the siege. Devastated fields, charred earthworks, and the remnants of hastily abandoned encampments painted a vivid picture of the hardships endured by the Confederate soldiers. Yet, amid this desolation, they found no trace of the retreating Confederates. The enemy, it seemed, had vanished like shadows at dawn. While the Union cavalry raced in pursuit, McClellan set about mobilizing the rest of his army. A sense of urgency gripped the Union camp as cannons were hastily loaded onto wagons, and infantrymen fell into marching columns. Every moment wasted was a moment earned by the Confederates to regroup and prepare for the next confrontation. Chasing shadows, the Union forces found themselves drawn into a new phase of the Peninsula Campaign. The siege of Yorktown had ended, not with a decisive victory but with a strategic retreat. The chase that followed was a tense race against time, a pursuit that would lead them further down the path of war, into battles yet fought and victories yet won. The echo of the siege was behind them, the drumbeat of pursuit ahead, and the fate of the Civil War hung in the balance. Chapter 5 Impact and Aftermath In the aftermath of the Confederate retreat from Yorktown, the Union stood on the precipice of what appeared to be a significant turning point. Yet, the promises whispered by the siege of Yorktown remained unfulfilled. 
the prospect of a swift end to the Civil War, so palpable during the planning of the Peninsula Campaign, seemed to have evaporated, replaced by a sense of uncertain anticipation. General George B. McClellan, once heralded as the Union's great hope, found his reputation at a crossroads. His cautious approach at Yorktown, criticized by some as overly timid, had allowed the Confederate forces to retreat and regroup. As he surveyed the deserted Confederate defenses, he grappled with the realization that Yorktown, which he had hoped would be a decisive victory, had instead become a prolonged stalemate. For President Abraham Lincoln, the outcome at Yorktown was a source of both relief and frustration. He was relieved that the siege had ended without excessive Union casualties, but frustrated at the missed opportunity to deal a crushing blow to the Confederacy. Lincoln had hoped for a swift, decisive campaign that would bring the southern states back into the Union fold. Instead, he found himself presiding over a conflict that was rapidly spiraling into a protracted war. Meanwhile, across the lines, the Confederate retreat was greeted with a mix of trepidation and admiration. The Southern press, while lamenting the loss of Yorktown, applauded the strategic retreat as a display of resourcefulness. The war-weary Southern population clung to this narrative, drawing strength from their soldiers' resilience. The Peninsula Campaign, initiated with grand ambitions, had stumbled into a reality check at Yorktown. The Confederate retreat, while a tactical setback for the South, allowed them a chance to fight another day. For the Union, Yorktown served as a reminder of the daunting challenge that lay ahead a rebellion not easily quelled and a war not swiftly won. The promises of a quick victory remained elusive, and the shadow of a protracted conflict loomed larger. The unfulfilled promise of Yorktown would linger, its echoes resonating in the battles yet to come. The siege of Yorktown, punctuated by the Confederate retreat, signaled a transformation in the nature of the Civil War. This was no longer a war of quick, decisive battles as many had optimistically envisioned. It was morphing into a drawn-out conflict, where strategic maneuvering and endurance were proving just as critical as battlefield victories. General Robert E. Lee, who took over the command of the Confederate forces after Joseph E. Johnston was wounded at the Battle of Seven Pines, emerged as a figure of critical importance. A respected military strategist, Lee's appointment infused the Confederate forces with renewed determination. His strategic planning would soon lead to the Confederate victories in the Seven Days Battles, transforming the landscape of the war. Meanwhile, the use of ironclads at Yorktown marked a significant advancement in naval warfare. These floating fortresses, with their ability to withstand traditional artillery fire, brought about a paradigm shift in maritime strategy. Their successful deployment by the Union paved the way for similar uses in subsequent encounters, highlighting the increasingly critical role of technology in the war. The transformation was not limited to military tactics and technology. The protracted nature of the war was triggering socio-political changes as well. As the conflict endured, the Lincoln administration faced increasing pressure to address the issue of slavery. What began as a war for preserving the Union was being inexorably drawn towards the moral question of human bondage. The Emancipation Proclamation, issued by President Lincoln a few months after the siege of Yorktown, 
was a testament to this shift. While it did not immediately free all slaves, it transformed the character of the war by aligning the Union's cause with the abolition of slavery. It instilled a renewed sense of purpose in the Northern troops, reinforcing their resolve for the battles ahead. In retrospect, the Siege of Yorktown served as a mirror to the transforming reality of the Civil War. It showcased a war evolving in its tactics, technology, and very essence. The conflict was no longer solely about reunifying a divided nation, it was about shaping the moral, political, and social fabric of that nation for generations to come. In the wake of the Siege of Yorktown, a ripple of political repercussions spread throughout the nation. The outcome of the siege had implications far beyond the battlefield, penetrating the halls of power in Washington and Richmond. For President Lincoln, Yorktown became a political conundrum. The Union's inability to secure a decisive victory had implications on public morale and international perceptions. Lincoln faced a dual challenge maintaining Northern public support for the war while also keeping foreign powers, especially Britain and France, from recognizing and aiding the Confederacy. General George B. McClellan also faced a surge of criticism for his leadership of the Peninsula Campaign. His cautious approach at Yorktown sparked frustration among some of his contemporaries, including Secretary of War Edwin M. Stanton and Lincoln himself. This political tension eventually led to his removal as General-in-Chief of the Union Army later in 1862, though he remained in command of the Army of the Potomac. On the southern side, the retreat from Yorktown was not without political fallout. Confederate President Jefferson Davis was confronted with a delicate balancing act. While the tactical retreat had saved the Confederate Army from potential destruction, it also represented a loss of territory. Davis had to manage public sentiment, ensuring that the strategic withdrawal was not seen as a sign of weakness. Moreover, the retreat from Yorktown heightened the sense of urgency for the Confederacy to secure a decisive victory. This urgency would later drive Robert E. Lee's aggressive strategies, culminating in the Battle of Seven Pines and the subsequent Seven Days Battles. In the broader context of the Civil War, the political repercussions of the Siege of Yorktown were significant. The outcome challenged the leadership on both sides, instigating strategic reassessments and leadership changes. It highlighted the complex interplay between military actions and political imperatives a theme that would persist throughout the war. As the nation grappled with the evolving conflict, Yorktown emerged as a pivotal juncture, reshaping political strategies and leadership dynamics in the heart of a nation at war. Chapter 6, Echoes of Yorktown In the aftermath of the Siege of Yorktown, the war-weary forces on both sides were compelled to reflect and learn from their experiences. Each decision made, each tactic employed, held lessons for future encounters, marking a new chapter in their understanding of warfare. For the Union, one of the primary lessons was the importance of decisive action. General McClellan's cautious approach, while prudent in minimizing casualties, also allowed the Confederates to slip from his grasp. The missed opportunity at Yorktown brought home the harsh reality that hesitation on the battlefield could prolong the war and cost more lives in the long run. 
Another key lesson for the North was the need for effective communication and coordination between the Army and Navy. The Siege of Yorktown was a clear example of what could be achieved when land and naval forces worked in unison, as illustrated by the Union's successful use of ironclads to break the Confederate defenses. This lesson would prove valuable in subsequent campaigns, particularly in the combined operations against Charleston and Vicksburg. For the Confederacy, Yorktown offered lessons in resilience and strategic retreat. Despite being outnumbered, the Confederate forces, under the leadership of General Magruder, had managed to hold off the Union Army for a month. Their strategic retreat demonstrated that, in the face of overwhelming odds, survival and preservation of the Army could be a victory in itself. Furthermore, the Confederacy learned the importance of adaptability. The use of earthworks and trenches, influenced by European warfare, had enabled the smaller Confederate force to hold off a larger enemy. This innovative defensive approach would become a trademark of the Confederacy in the battles to come. The Siege of Yorktown, although a standoff, was a pivotal learning moment in the Civil War. It underlined the complexities of warfare and strategy, shaping the military approaches of the North and South. These lessons, born out of the heat of battle, would echo throughout the course of the war, continually influencing and redefining the strategies of a nation divided. In the landscape of collective memory, physical markers often serve as reminders of significant historical events. The Siege of Yorktown, despite its indeterminate outcome, left an indelible mark on the nation's history and its geographical landscape. In the town of Yorktown, Monuments and markers stand as silent witnesses to the events of April 1862. The Yorktown National Cemetery, nestled quietly amidst lush greenery, is a solemn reminder of the lives lost during the Peninsula Campaign. Here, orderly rows of white headstones honor the sacrifice of Union soldiers, forever etching the cost of war into the American psyche. Just a short distance away, earthworks and trenches, remnants of the Confederate defenses, still scar the landscape. Weathered by time and elements, these features offer a tangible link to the past, a testament to the ingenuity and determination of the Southern forces during the siege. Beyond the physical monuments, the siege of Yorktown also lives on in cultural memory. Historians, artists, and writers have grappled with the events, interpreting and reinterpreting the siege's significance. In literature, the siege has been immortalized in countless Civil War narratives, from detailed historical accounts to imaginative works of historical fiction. Each retelling adds a new layer of meaning, contributing to the broader narrative of the Civil War. The battle is also remembered in annual reenactments, where history enthusiasts recreate the events of the siege. These performances offer a vivid, albeit stylized, glimpse into the past fostering a sense of connection with the men who fought and died on these grounds. In these ways, the Siege of Yorktown transcends the confines of time, etched into the collective memory of the nation. Through physical monuments and cultural depictions, the story of Yorktown continues to unfold, each retelling adding new insights to our understanding of this pivotal chapter in American history. Through memory, the events of Yorktown continue to resonate, serving as a poignant reminder of a nation's struggle and resilience in the face of conflict. 
The Siege of Yorktown, while not a decisive battle in the American Civil War, nevertheless left an indelible legacy of leadership that has informed military strategy and leadership principles for generations to come. For General George B. McClellan, his cautious strategy at Yorktown was viewed by some as a failure of nerve, yet others praised his careful preservation of Union soldiers' lives. His methods at Yorktown, intended to avoid unnecessary bloodshed, are still studied in military academies, encouraging future leaders to consider the cost of human life in their strategic calculations. On the Confederate side, General John B. Magruder's leadership during the siege became a study in creative military strategy and the importance of showmanship in warfare. His ability to hold off a vastly superior force using deceptive tactics and bravado demonstrated the impact psychological warfare could have on the battlefield. His techniques, often referred to as the Magruder effect, remain influential in discussions of asymmetric warfare. The siege also saw the effective use of naval power in support of ground operations, a cooperative strategy that came to be known as joint operations. The arrival of the Union's ironclads at a crucial moment in the siege underscored the value of integrated operations, a strategy that has become a cornerstone of modern military doctrine. The leaders of the siege of Yorktown were far from perfect, but their actions during the battle offered valuable lessons. Their strategies, their successes, and their failures all contribute to the broader understanding of military leadership. The Siege of Yorktown remains a significant chapter in the annals of military history, its lessons reverberating through time, reminding future leaders of the complexities of command and the unpredictable nature of warfare. Through this legacy of leadership, Yorktown continues to play a part in shaping the leaders of tomorrow.